you're a person that likes to follow along in your Bible, that's where we're going to be in just a few moments. I read a story recently about a minister who was visiting in Italy. And there he saw the grave of a man who had died several centuries before, who was an unbeliever and completely against Christianity, but just a little afraid of it too. And so the man had a, a, a huge stone slab put over his grave so that he would not have to be raised from the dead in case there is a resurrection from the dead. And he went so far as to have insignias put all over the slab saying things like, I do not want to be raised from the dead. I don't believe in it. Well, evidently when he was buried, an acorn must have fallen into the grave. And so a hundred years or more later, the acorn had grown up through the grave and split that slab. And now was a tall, towering oak tree. And the, the minister looked at it and asked, if an acorn, an acorn which has the power of biological life in it, can split a slab of that magnitude, what can the acorn of God's resurrection power do in a person's life? And so friends, the, the moment that we decide to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit comes into our life. And it is the power of the resurrection, the same thing that raised Jesus from the dead. And so think of the things that you see as, as uh, immovable slabs in your life, your bitterness, your insecurity, your fears, your self-doubts. You see, those things can be split. They can be rolled off the more that you know him, the more that you grow in the power of the resurrection. Today, we are continuing our journey through the gospel of John. Now, if you've been here for a while, you're aware that we are currently in the middle of chapter six. And so today, we're gonna take up a bit of a detour and we're going all the way to the end of John's gospel, to the last chapter, chapter 20. And the first three people whose stories are told in John chapter 20, which is John's history of Resurrection Day as, as he knew it, these three people are very different from one another. And today our goal is to see how the scriptures respect this and allow us to be called to faith in different ways to experience that resurrection power, no matter our varied backgrounds or experiences. And so we're calling the message today, Running Through the Graveyard. And the purpose for that title, I hope, will become evident as we look at the text together. I'd like to invite you to read with me the first section. This is John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. The words will be on the screen. Let's read together. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, 
not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Amen. The word of God. Well, I want you to just notice, first off, you see a lot of running going on in this little paragraph, this little account? There is a lot of running. This is a breathless text. It's got sweat all over it. Everybody in the text is running. You probably have to use your, your high-speed action setting on your camera phone in order to catch everybody. You know, there, there's really not a lot of running in the Bible, certainly not much in the Gospels. But in this paragraph, everyone seems to be kind of in full-on sprint mode. Why all the running? And of all the places, they're running in a graveyard. Now, I see running in a lot of places, but not very much in a graveyard. You know, in cemeteries, we tend to walk very lightly on our feet, kind of like if we're perhaps walking through a minefield, you know. We walk softly through those tablets of memory with maybe some reverence, and that's okay. For the most part, no one goes running, not, not in cemeteries. And so what is it about this resurrection morning story that sent people running through the graveyard? You know, I often see people out running in my neighborhood, maybe when I'm out for a walk. But it, it reminds me more of Good Friday than Easter Sunday. There's a lot of grimaces, a lot of concentration in those runners. There might be a, a grunt of a good morning as we pass one another, uh, faces etched with, with pain, trying to keep the heart rate up and the, and the waistline down. But most often, I don't see them running from a place of joy. Not really. You know, you might see people running as well, maybe running at work. See people running at work with too many things to do, stressed by overcommitted, by having overcommitted themselves. They're trying to uh, accomplish an incredible amount in a short amount of time. If they're not physically running, then their minds are running 10 directions at once, always running, 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 running. We might see people, if you go to the airport, running through the airport, they're trying to turn the clock back in time, right? They've got to get all the way from gate one to gate 40 in like 30 seconds before their flight boards. Or what about the people running around in our neighborhoods? Parents in SUVs delivering their children from school to dance practice to soccer games to tutoring through the drive-through for a quick meal and back to the ball field. Running, running late, running behind schedule, running, running, running. I also often notice people who run in, in fear. Fear of commitment, fear of accountability, fear of judgment, fear of disappointment always running. But I don't see a whole lot of people just running out of sheer joy, except for kids. If you see kids, any group of kids, there's likely to be some running involved. Yesterday we had the egg hunt out here in the big field, and you know, even before the egg hunt started, there's kids everywhere, and what are they doing? They're running around, because kids run around. And they're not running because they're in a hurry, they're not necessarily running because they're being chased. Maybe they are, but most often they're just running because it's joyful. It's fun to run. They're, they're running maybe because you and I won't run, right? They're, they're running because it's great to move that fast. It's great to run. They love to run. And friends, that in a, in, in this is 
in the spirit almost of this Easter morning that we just read about in Scripture. This is a running that has light feet about it, feet that were wounded and scarred by all kinds of experiences in life, but suddenly they are set free and running. Some of us have trouble appreciating this, but this is a running text. And so when the sun comes up that first Easter morning, it dawns on these people in different ways. And the shadows flee in different ways. And just as these three people that we're going to look at in their stories in John 20, so we, too, who gather on this Easter morning, we're not identical to one another. And so I want to see how this scripture respects this and allows us to be called to faith in different ways, not all in precisely the same manner. And so let's consider first that some people respond to the resurrection with simple faith, just simple faith. And the first portrait of someone called, is someone called the disciple whom Jesus loved. Isn't that a great nickname? The disciple who Jesus loved, he, he's very close to Jesus. And, and we know, because we've been spending time in this study earlier on, we know that this is John. He's the apostle who wrote this very gospel. And he's very close to Jesus. When, when Jesus calls three of the guys aside, it's always Peter and James and John. And so John has been a witness to many of the special miracles that surround Jesus. When they're uh, sitting at the Last Supper, John is to the right of Jesus, and he's the one that can whisper, who is it, Jesus? Who is it that's going to betray you? And, and when Jesus dies on the cross, everyone else flees. All of the other guys are gone. But according to the scriptures, this beloved disciple was still there at the feet of Jesus. And it was to this disciple that Jesus spoke one of his final words from the cross. In essence, he said, take my mother home with you, John. Let her be your mother and you be her son. That's how close he was to Jesus. He saw and witnessed the entire experience. And so now in the scripture, we see that he's in a foot race with Peter. And maybe because he's younger, he beats Peter to the tomb after they have heard this incredible news from Mary that the tomb is empty. And so, can you just picture it? They're racing through the graveyard to check this information out. And John gets there first. And so, he must have been fit. But I think he was quicker in more ways than just his feet. He was quicker of faith. Notice that when the beloved disciple gets to the tomb, do you see what happens in the story? He doesn't go in. He just looks. He looks. And there he sees the linen cloth and it's depressed, kind of like an empty cocoon. And the headpiece is there. And he paused to reflect on that. And then Simon Peter, we all know Peter's the impetuous guy, comes rushing up. I just picture him pushing John out of the way and running right into that, that tomb. And then John enters in behind him. And it simply says in verse 8, he saw and he believed. He saw and he believed. Isn't that amazing? He didn't have to have a lot of proof. Uh, unlike doubting Thomas, he didn't have to thrust his hand into Jesus' side or, or put his finger into the holes. He didn't have to see Jesus walk 
through walls. He didn't have to have anything. He just saw that little bit. And he believed. You know, an ideal disciple is, is like this beloved one. It doesn't take much to nudge them to faith. Now, he didn't come thinking that Jesus was raised, but when he got there, it didn't take much. He just had to announce it. It was just the whisper of the empty tomb. No angels yet, and yet he believes. It's quite an amazing story. And you know, some of you here are Jesus' beloved disciples, aren't you? Men and women, old and young. Some of you are here this morning. And you, you believe like this disciple believes. It doesn't take much energy or force to push you into faith. You just ran. You just ran right into the truth of Jesus. Some of you may not even remember a time that you didn't believe passionately in Christ. When you became a believer, you just ran across the, the stream of faith at its narrowest point. And, and, and even though it's a supernatural thing when a, when a person becomes a Christian, for you, it was almost natural. It just seemed right. You didn't struggle about your faith. And so you get up on Easter morning and you say, well, of course, he is risen. He is risen indeed. And you don't understand why anybody even struggles about that because for you it is, is something that you find simple to believe. Now, make no mistake about it. People who believe like this are not simple tons. They're not naive. They're not unplugged from the world. They're not ignorant. They're not childish. They simply have the gift, the blessing. They're fortunate. They have the blessing and the heritage of an easy faith, of a painless birth into faith. And that is a wonderful and an amazing thing. And there will be some of you here this morning who will say, that, that's who I am. And that's all right. That's good. You've not missed something because you haven't struggled. It is a wonderful thing. And we celebrate that. Your face is in this portrait with the beloved disciple. But remember, we're all called to faith in different ways. And so secondly, we see that some respond to the resurrection with struggling faith. Struggling faith. Not everybody comes right to Jesus. In fact, in all of the four Gospels, when the story of the empty tomb is told, the only person who came to faith upon witnessing the empty tomb immediately was this guy, the beloved disciple John. No one else did. Simon Peter, what did he do? He ran in, he saw the same cloth, he saw the same headpiece, and what did he do? He walked home, scratching his head, saying, I wonder what happened. He didn't believe. He was stupefied, he was mystified, he had questions, he had doubts and concerns, even though he saw the very same evidence. And there are some of you here this morning who look around this room, or maybe when you came into the building this morning and you see everybody and they appear to be this fresh face, you know, aglow with, with faith, happy Easter, and you think, why, why don't I feel that way? Why don't I feel that way? And you might be thinking that you're one of the few people in the entire history of Christendom for whom faith, even faith in the resurrection, doesn't come simply. You simply have a lot of questions maybe a little skepticism, maybe some things you're not sure about. And guess what? 
Your face is in this story too. We don't all have to be like the beloved disciple. We don't have to pretend that we're like him. We can be who we are. You can be like Peter. Simon Peter comes in and he sees all of this. But you know, he's a a man's man, right? He lives in the world. He's a, a fisherman. He knows all the dirty jokes. He even does some cursing on the side. By the way, he's done both of those very recently to try to prove to people that he did not know Jesus. And now he is consumed with the guilt and the brokenness and the darkness of his own life. And although he ran to the tomb, hopeful maybe, he also knows that, hey, when you're dead, you're dead. When it's over, it's over. And now he's ready to run away to run in the opposite direction of Jesus and death and even hope. You know, it was dreadful and it was terrible what happened to Jesus. And even more dreadful that Peter denied knowing Jesus. He could have done something, maybe, and he didn't. And that's even worse. Something in Simon Peter perhaps died when Jesus died. And friends, there are a lot of believers And there are a lot of people who hang around believers. And there are a lot of people that even got up this morning and put on your uncomfortable Easter shoes and came here to church who in your hearts are just not sure. You're not sure that perhaps beyond death there's anything else for for you or for Jesus or perhaps for anyone else because your experience doesn't give you the evidence for that. And so I say to you, Simon Peter, male or female, old or young, are you here this morning? You've come running, or maybe you were dragged here by grandma or mom or dad or whatever it might be. Maybe you come even a little bit hopeful. Will the preacher say anything new this year? Anything different? But you find believing a struggle. And the coming to faith is not simple or natural for you. And the stream is wide where you try to cross. In fact, you're ready perhaps to run out the doors of this building this morning as soon as the final amen is said. Friends, I want this text to encourage you. I want you to know that Jesus Christ not only came back But he came back for Simon Peter, especially for Simon Peter. You know, in the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 16, when uh, Mark is telling the story, uh, he tells how, how the angel said to Mary Magdalene, go back and tell the disciples that Jesus has gone before you. And Peter, and Peter, tell Peter especially You know, I imagine that Simon Peter believed that if anybody had been dropped off God's invitation list, it was him. And boy, did he deserve it. He didn't deny him once or twice, three times in an ugly fashion. But Easter is here to say that Jesus is raised and to say that he did come back and he came back especially for people who believed that he couldn't possibly come back for them. And when he came back, Jesus didn't, you know, he didn't cancel Simon. 
He didn't scorch him with a, a fire and brimstone sermon with a, I told you so, or I knew you'd fail me, you jerk. No, when Jesus came back, it was with scarred arms. Arms to reach around him and to say, Peter, I love you. I came back to say that your failure was not the end. You cannot dig a ditch so deep. You cannot run so far away. You cannot accumulate the, the amount of, any amount of curses or bad things or denials that can make you out of the reach of my love, Peter. I imagine Jesus saying, if death can stop me, if they can't nail me down with real nails, you can be sure that you can't get far enough away that my hand can't reach you. Simon Peter, I came back for you. And it may take you a while to get that, but I came for you. And so Simon Peter walked away from Easter Sunday morning, not a believer. And you may also. For Simon Peter, the truth dawned a little later, gradually, as Jesus appeared to him. Jesus called him to a new calling beyond his failure. He gave him a, a new job to do, which is really what forgiveness is. It's not just saying, I forgive you. It is trusting you with something to do again. And so he gave Peter a new job. Peter's job was to lead the church. Imagine that. I trust you. That's what Jesus says to Peter. And this is good news, but it dawns slowly. And friends, if you approach Easter this morning consumed with your sense of guilt or failure or brokenness beyond repair, if you find yourself running away from Jesus or you hear a voice whispering in your ear, after all you've done, this isn't for you, or God couldn't possibly love you, not with what I know about you, or there, there's no place for you in church, not after what you've done. If you hear that voice, if you ever hear that voice from a preacher, from your own parents, or even from someone who looks like an angel, I guarantee you this, you are not hearing from God. Jesus came back to say, your failures do not have to be final. This does not have to be the last word to be said about you. He came back to the very people who hurt him. And he came back to say, I believe in a new future for you yet. And so friends, even if your birth in the faith is slow, if you are more doubting and skeptical, if your senses of failure have made you feel scarred and unable to run, I want to tell you that he came back for you too. Just let him call you. Let him call you. Learn to handle those doubts with honesty before him. Believing that they're going to lead you to faith, not away from it. Let that happen. Talk that through with someone who knows Jesus well. And allow them to help you in that exploration process. And perhaps in time, you might find yourself running toward Jesus instead of away from him. By the way, it's important to know that you can't get your faith from someone else. You understand that? 
Yesterday at the egg hunt, as I was watching all those kids, it was a blast, you know, kids running everywhere, grabbing eggs. I was drawn to this one little girl, and she was searching for eggs, and other kids around her were faster, and she was struggling to find any. And the eggs were out there. I could see from my adult vantage point, there was eggs, but this little girl had an empty basket. She couldn't find any eggs. And she was just kind of stuck, frozen in place. I, you know, maybe it was just overwhelming for her. Well, just then, her dad steps in. Because, you know, those other kids were beating his kid to the eggs. And so he got out there. He, he even ran ahead of her just a little bit. And he was fast. He was fast. And it wasn't a, just a, a minute or two before this little girl had a full basket of eggs. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the little girl burst out in tears. She's got a full basket of eggs. Ah! And her dad says, sweetie, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she said, I wanted to find them. <laughs> Isn't that great? She didn't just want the full basket. She wanted the joy of finding them. And so, friends, I want you to see this. If you are struggling in your faith, like Simon Peter, no one else's faith can fill up your basket. Not grandma's faith, not your parents' faith, or your spouse's faith. But if you allow the Heavenly Father to take you by the hand, he will gently and ever so patiently, but with true wisdom, guide you to fill your basket of faith. And it may be slower, but it will be yours. And that's okay. And eventually, you too will find yourself running to him instead of away. Simple faith, struggling faith. And now we come to a final portrait. Some respond to the resurrection with grieving faith. Grieving faith. The final face in this first Easter portrait is a woman, Mary Magdalene. This is a woman whom seven demons were cast out of by Jesus. Her life was changed in an instant, an instant from, from overwhelming fear, trapped in unimaginable pain, judged and ignored by others, to becoming a follower of Jesus. In Luke's gospel in chapter 8, it says that Mary was numbered among the disciples. Isn't that great? What a transition. She was there ministering to Jesus, ministering for Jesus in his name. And by the way, she was there at the cross. She watched them as they tortured him, as they killed him. She watched as they took him down from the cross. She was there to see him put into the tomb. And so when she came to the tomb that Easter morning, she knew exactly which tomb to go to. And she wasn't coming to witness a resurrection. She didn't come to that tomb to get an Easter message. She was there to perform a funeral rite for her Lord not knowing that he was awake, that he wasn't even there. She went there to mourn. She was grieving. She couldn't get Easter. And it wasn't because of guilt or doubt or questions like Peter. 
She couldn't get it because of grief. And so I wonder, Mary, are you here today? Male or female, young or old, are you here? All this business on Sunday morning, hallelujah, Christ is risen, risen indeed. Celebration, it's difficult for you because you're carrying a load of grief. Maybe someone precious died and you are overwhelmed by that pain. Maybe it was a job that died. Maybe it was a marriage or a relationship that died and you are overwhelmed by that pain. Maybe it was your health. When the doctor spoke those words, I have some bad news. And so you perhaps are grieving the loss of something very personal this morning. And grief, friends, can blur our vision. And it can also harden our hearts. Notice that Mary returns to the graveyard weeping. And her grief is a portrait of her faith. And you know, even when Jesus appeared to her, she's still stuck in her grief, so much so that she thinks he's the gardener. And so Mary Magdalene comes to Easter and says, he's gone. Where did you go, Lord? Someone's taken the Lord. And then she begins talking to someone. And the one she's talking to is him, the Lord. And so friends, you too may feel at times far from Jesus. But I want you to know that he's the one who is right here, right now. He's closer to you than your next heartbeat. But you see, Mary couldn't quite see him through the grief. And then he called her name. Mary, can't you just hear it? Mary, you know, 10 chapters earlier in this gospel, we haven't quite got to that yet, but Jesus makes this statement and he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. They hear my voice. They know my voice and I call them by name. Isn't that great? Mary. Wow. And she hears his voice. And she hears her name. And she falls to worship him. Friends, this is the message of Easter. If you listen carefully, he is calling your name. And if you're willing for a moment just to let your guard down, to allow the cynicism to fade for a moment, to give up your tight grip on the disappointments and hurts and heartaches of this life, then you just may find yourself running to, away from the grief, away from the disappointment, and toward the one who can help us through all of the hardship. And it may come at different paces for all of us, in different frequencies, at different times for each of us. But however we're wired, Easter has come for you and for me.
And he is calling your name. And perhaps like Mary, you will find yourself saying, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. Well, friends, we're going to conclude our time here by celebrating communion together as we reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made so that this all could be possible. And so in just a moment, I'm going to pray and then I invite you, and really, Jesus invites you to share in communion. We have four tables, two here at the front, two at the back. We invite you as the music plays to just quietly make your way to one of the tables. The cups are stacked together. The juice is on the top. The bread is underneath. You can have communion right at the table if you'd like, or if you want to take it and carry it back to your seat and have a a time of meditation, you're certainly welcome to do that as well. A little bit later, some of the folks will come around with some buckets to pick up the empty cups if you take it back to your seat. If you're not able to make it to one of the tables, just simply raise your hand. Somebody would be glad to come and serve you right where you sit. But let's just make this a wonderful time of worship as we listen to the voice of the Lord calling our name. Let's pray together.